Welcome to Becoming Self, a podcast to inspire you to become a more deeply expressed version of who you already are. Through powerful interviews, touching conversations, and personal inquiries, you'll be called to pause, think, and feel into your own journey of becoming yourself. Taking the lenses of transformation, coaching, art, psychology, philosophy, and spirituality, we'll be exploring the depth of what it means to become self. My name is Maximilian, and I welcome you on this journey. Today's guest is Mark Rautenbach. He is a mixed-media artist based in Cape Town, South Africa. And I had the pleasure of talking to him about his journey of becoming, how he became an artist, what challenges he had as a young boy, young man growing up in apartheid South Africa, and then finding his medium, his way to express himself, and his continued journey of becoming himself. We covered a beautiful range of topics from his own experience in the culture he was born into, all the way to his connection to astrology, integral theory and philosophy embedded into art and expression. Before we get into today's episode, I'd love to share one or two things. The first thing is a weekly meditation group I hold called A Space to Be. And it's every week on Mondays. Check the description for the link. And that if you're at all curious about this notion of becoming self and would like to get in touch with me, please do so. I'd love to connect, get to know each other, and maybe hear about your story of becoming self. And I'd also like to invite you to kind of direct anyone towards this podcast where you have a feeling that they've had an interesting journey of becoming themselves and maybe would like to talk about that on this podcast. The start of this conversation is actually before we officially started the interview or the podcast. But I thought it was quite nice to add and to leave in as it gives a little bit of the context and intention of the then preceding interview. And it gives a little bit of an insight into the lightness I share with Mark. All right, so I hope you really enjoy this conversation. I left with a lot from speaking to Mark, and I hope you do so too. (laughs) 
the intention of the podcast is to explore this notion of becoming self. And when I thought about who I wanted to interview, you came to mind because you have an interesting path. And to me, there's an interesting journey you've taken of kind of becoming self. Um, and so that is like my hypothesis that I'm coming with and something that I'm going to want to explore with you. So I probably will be asking you, you know, how's your journey been to become yourself? What even is the self? Do you define the self? How do you understand the self? So I will kind of be going into that. And then also wondering about like, how are you expressing from the self into the world? How are you manifesting from your core and to outside? And yes, I would also just like to thank you for this opportunity because it is such a rich opportunity to explore this in a very conscious way, you know. I mean, these ideas go bounce around, but then to actually sit down, settle down and say, okay, let's look at this is is a privilege. And thank you. Thank you for doing it with me. <clears throat> I just want to change my chair. I think this one's a bit wobbly. You can sit on a big silver ball now, which is even more lovely. <laughs> yeah, that kind of feels better. But yeah, it's kind of more grounded. Cool. Um, so we'll turn the videos off, I guess, just to get better connection potentially. Mm, is my video on still? I turned the self view on. All right. It's like a whole lot more intimate without the videos than I've got to say. <laughs> it makes me become way more present, far more aware. So welcome, Mark. You are my first guest on this podcast. And... Before we get into yeah, talking a little bit about and hearing from you about your journey of becoming, I want to just very shortly introduce how we met and why I asked you to be a guest on this podcast. Mm. Um, okay, well, I, I think I must say hello, Max, as well. I, I'm just realizing this is recording and we're going to go out there. Um, so, yes, hello, Max, and thank you for inviting me. And um, I feel very honored that you've invited me, and I look forward to this conversation. It's, um, I feel like I will learn things through this. Yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so I've known Mark for... I think it's actually been a year nearly now. Um, we met in... It's uh, actually only eight months, believe it or not. Uh -huh. July last wow. year. Yeah. Mm. Mm. It feels like a year. <laughs> mm. Yeah, we met in a, um, in a course, uh, Sense Making 101 from Rebel Wisdom. And we... Well, I saw you on the calls in the Zoom rooms. And yeah, there was some curiosity, but uh, we weren't in connection at that point. Um, in the mm. course, we got put into pods 
um, groups of four or five people. And um, I was in a pod with some other people. And kind of on the, like in the background, there was a mutual friend of ours now who started connecting some people that he was curious about. And he had reached out to me and he also reached out to Mark. And so this kind of rogue pod formed um, at the end of the course. And so we found each other in this space, uh, four people. Um, it was Mark and myself and two others. And yeah, it was immediately quite apparent um, that there was a very curious connection we had. Um, and just quite a mutual interest of what we're doing in life and how we're looking at life. And I think also the questions that we've been asking and wondering about. And Mark is an artist. He beautifully weaves together not just art and the expression of oneself through art, but mythology, philosophy, spirituality, systems thinking, integral theory. And to me, just a sense of really deeply entrenched meaning combined with the kind of self-discovery and movement of yeah, becoming oneself and all of the tensions and frictions that come with that process. And so that's how I got to know Mark and also his work. And so when the podcast started to kind of come into form, it felt like a very natural uh, match to invite Mark on the show. Yeah, so that's my little introduction, Mark. How does that um, mm. sound to you? Have I missed anything? No, that is such an amazing introduction. I feel so self-conscious now. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> you do that so well. You do it so beautifully. Um, thank you. That was, I feel very beautifully represented and introduced. Um, mm. Yeah. And also, I just want to say you also really, really stood out on that course. I remember you, you often came up in the questions um, and answers and you stood out. There was something about you. You stood apart from other people, and it was the quality of your questions and also your presence. You had a you have a presence that um, um, I want to say startling. It's not startling, not mm. the right word. It's just you you stand out. Um, so I took notice, and then it was wonderful. Then that journey then um, linked us all, and then we started our our rogue pod. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so here we are, and I'd love to open just the conversation to, yeah, maybe you could just tell us about yourself a little bit, maybe also what you're doing today, but also how you moved and developed into where you are today. Mm. And I'll leave it completely open as to where you want to start then. Okay, so, um, you know, I've, I have a little bit of experience of speaking in groups and, and doing interviews. Um, and so I, I, I do rehearse a bit. I, I like 
go through things in my mind and I reflect on stuff. And then I find when I get to the actual thing, like none of that arises. So it's kind of <laughs> completely ad-libbing and <laughs> seeing where it goes. Yeah. Um, so I'm also going to just lean on you to to steer me if I'm not making sense because I can go down paths and just stop making sense. Um, but yes, I guess a bit of um, background is useful. Um and I don't know how personal to get. So maybe you can also just pull me out if I'm getting too personal because I can get too personal perhaps. But I would say, so, so, I mean, the context that we're talking in is about the self and it's that question, who am I? You know, what is this? Um, and I w- the reflection I had last night was that the context I found myself in, born in, didn't encourage um, investigation in who, who I am. It was more, and, and what I mean by that, I wasn't, my family and my community and my society wasn't mirroring back to me. They were more dumping a picture on me of what I was supposed to become. And like something, I, I, there was a deep sense of I had to become something that th- there was something expected of me. And then deeper inside me was that I'm going to fail at this in every possible way. There's no ways I can become that. And I think what I did or what I understand I did was I simply evacuated. I, I, my consciousness left my body and I always had a sense of my consciousness hovering above my head. Um, And then it was almost like the shell of a being formed, um, being informed by what the right things are to do. And I think I I developed a persona or an act of being a good boy. Like I didn't want to get into trouble. I didn't want to cause any trouble. Um, And I did things right. Um, Loosely, my background was I was born into um, an alcoholic family. Um, My father was an alcoholic. Um, We're talking about the 60s. We're talking about apartheid South Africa. So very Mm -hmm. cut-off, parochial um, society, removed from the rest of the world. uh, South Africa was totally cut off from the rest of the world. We had this insane racial division. So, I mean, I grew up with only white people, even though there were more black people around me, but they we didn't mix. Um, there was also, and what's pertinent to me is that um, homosexuality was criminal mm. socially and, um, and it was utterly taboo. Um, in my community, in my family, so, so much so that you couldn't even talk about it. And I didn't even have words to talk about it. I didn't even really know what that was. I mean, it was so kind of pushed down. And then I think the other thing that was quite important is that my, right from the word go, I loved working with my hands and making stuff, which in hindsight, I realized, oh, I was making art, but I had no context mm. for art making either. Um, there was no, there were no artists in my family. There were no, I didn't grow up with art on the walls or this idea of sculpture or anything like that. It was like something very foreign. 
Um, my, my, my parents were quite poor. My father was a bricklayer and my mother was a secretary. She had, um, she'd got to matric, so not much education. She was the most educated that anybody had got to in their family. And um, I, as she pushed me to go to university. And the only reason why I really went to university was because we had a compulsory army conscription. So for me to push that away as far as possible, I just, okay, I'm going to go and do a degree. And I did a fine art degree, which is a four-year degree, which kept me out of the army. Mm. Um, and so I would say my 20s were very much this struggle of there's something inside of me that I can't express because it's going to get me into deep trouble. And there's something mm-hmm. that I'm supposed to be according to what, uh, you know, the, the people in power around me are expecting of me. And so I would say a lot of my twenties was almost keeping up a lie. Like I've got to suppress something and I've got to, uh, I've got to project something else out. And a lot of that projection was rebellion. It was like a teenage rebellion that I needed to express some kind of individuality, something, but it was disconnected from, it. Uh, I'd say, my core. It, it was really skewed. It was... Um, and... It was only around my Saturn return, which is the age you're at now. And, I, and what's also significant that Max and I'm, I, I'm, I'm an astrologer, I work with astrology, is that we both have the same Saturn. So um, I was having my Saturn return when Max was born. That's significant for me. And I'm about to have my Saturn, I'll have my Saturn return next year. Um, and that's a coming of age. That's um, like really stepping into... Um, I want to say a fullness of being, but I guess <laughs> that would need some real unpacking. <laughs> um, I'd say the short version is that you've had enough experience on the earth plane in this earth walk to kind of really play the game now. You've had enough, um, you've established, we've established ourselves enough around 28 to 30 to really get stuck into life. So around that time, I started doing a lot of personal development and personal growth work. I also work up to spirituality. I had been, my family was not religious and there was no real ideas around spirituality or religion. So that was always a blank thing. But um, around my sudden return, it suddenly all, it was a, a, an explosion of spiritual stuff, meditation, healing, um, homeopathy, um, all these things just came away. Astrology, I studied astrology for two years and I started doing transpersonal psychology courses. Um, and that was my, the beginning of my process of healing, um, unpacking and healing trauma and um, healing wounds and getting away a whole lot of debris in order to start this question, who am I? No, who am I? What is the self? And what is this all about? And there was a lot of stuff I had to move out the way in order to um, 
to even begin those questions, looking at those questions. Yeah, and, and, you know, my reflection last night, I, I went back to those early healing things. And I remember I did this one process where you, where it was getting in touch with, you know, the early mark, the very young mark, and then getting in touch with mm. the adolescent mark. And the early, the very young mark, mark is a young boy. He appeared as this, um, this frozen statue made out of concrete. He was completely um, frozen, solid. And, um, and the adolescent Mark was almost like a, a skeleton that was in an air balloon off earth, not even on earth. And when I pulled him down to earth, the moment he was like electricity, the moment he hit the earth, he was just ricocheting everywhere and just causing mayhem. And from my adult self, I just had to hold them and just hold and love them and just include and accept them the way they were. And by doing that, you know, those, those things melted and then they started becoming alive again. I wonder, Mark, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about where you're coming from because it sounds um, you know, like quite a distinct um, place and time and place and geography to be born into and mm. then to experience those kind of outer limits or boundaries that are set onto you. And I wonder, mm. maybe you could tell us a little bit more about how that was um, and, you know, that journey of finding yourself within those boundaries and you know, finding yourself in art and finding yourself... Um, yeah, wanting to express more than you were allowed to. Mm. Yes, yes, that, 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 yeah, that's very significant because, um, I mean, at school, I, I did go to, I went to a, a dual medium school. So I went to schools where there were boys and girls and that I felt more comfortable with. I, I enjoyed, I, I had more girlfriends than I had boyfriends. Um, my home situation, and I think it's pretty typical of an alcoholic or drug addict's home situation, the, um, the home is, is isolated. So I never had friends come to my home and I never visited friends. There was cousins that kind of came through, but as a, as a family, we isolated ourselves. So nobody outside of that Pod, as it were, got to see what was going on in there. And, and then I didn't have any other points of reference. So hmm. what was going on seemed normal. But if, if I was able to compare it to other, way, other homes, I probably would have seen, though, no, there's some very abnormal things going on here. And although it wasn't, there wasn't, it wasn't violent. Violent, there was always the threat of violence. And in some ways, that is even psychologically worse. I mean, they're getting a slap rather than the threat of a slap is, is more powerful in some way. Mm. Um, so there's always this, this um, ominous, forbidding feeling at home. Um, you couldn't mm. make a noise. You had to be quiet. You couldn't express yourself. Expression to toe the line, it's to tiptoe, it had to be very contained. Um, mm. And I think personality-wise, 
I could do that. I could pull it off. But my brother, who's eight years younger than me, he he's a more robust, masculine type person. He couldn't, you know, so he would often be um, victimized by me and my mother for being loud or boisterous or whatever. Mm. Uh, my sister and I, she's six years younger than me. We were more um, compliant, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then politically, the, you know, just growing up in this weird situation where the whole society, and I mean, I'm in it, so I, I didn't, I couldn't see it. It was only when I went to university that I then met people who were politically different to me. So my family was politically very conservative and I would say pretty right wing, you know. Um, so separatist in terms of race, um, uh, I mean, there was even some Nazi stuff going on with my uncles. Um, it was pretty scary, but also I didn't know what was really going on, you know. Mm-hmm. But just growing up a time in a time where if I got in a bus, um, you would have buses that were just for white people, buses that were just for black people. But there were some buses that would go some areas and then back people were only allowed to sit at the back of the bus. There were still situations where you'd have benches, you know, like benches that you'd sit on to wait for a bus that were only for, there was a white bench and there was the black bench, even though they were right next to each other. Um, public toilets would be completely segregated. Um, and white people would live in the cities and in the suburbs and then the black people would live out in townships and um, I mean, there was a, a woman who used to clean for my parents and she would arrive, she wouldn't have shoes and she would smell of fire, smell of smoke um, because she didn't have electricity in her home. She, she lived with a, with a fire and we had electricity. So it was that crazy, mad, uh, unjust way of, of living. We are no longer prepared to tolerate that criminal act by a minority. The white man has the audacity. He is three and a half million. We are 30 million. Because our regime can go to hell. And I only became self-conscious or aware of it when I went to university and met up with liberal people and um, people who had were just seeing things in very different ways. Had also perhaps travelled overseas, so they had something to compare to. Um, you know, growing up, you know, it's that thing of a frog in the boiling water. Like being in the situation, it's so difficult to see it unless you've got something to compare it to. Mm. So going to university was was quite radical for me because I, I was coming mm. from a very repressive, very right-wing family into a very liberal situation. And I suddenly, oh my God, like now I've got to express, I've got to take on you personas because that persona is mm. not allowed. I can't. And there was no space to discuss it. There was no like debriefing space. Like, 
oh, we are aware that you come from a, a racist background. Now let's debrief mm. you. It's just like, no, you suddenly got to function in this way. And I mean, that's pretty traumatizing mm. as well. It's like, it's a case of you, you've got to, you, I've got to work in a different way. I've got to, I've got to act in a different way. So again, I'm, you know, a lot of it was about performing, acting. Um, yeah, it sounds like you were coming out of an environment where you weren't allowed to be yourself, where there were certain boundaries set on you. And then you shifted into a radically different environment, but that had its own set of boundaries and own set of expectations of you. Yes, exactly. Hmm. Although it's going as liberal and like we accept all it's like no it's not the case it's like this is uh, the only way to see things is a left way of seeing things um mm. so it's not inclusive um and then and how did you from that point kind of develop yourself because it sounds like that was as much as there was new boundaries it sounds like that kind of opened you up the exploration into art and self-expression did something with you. Yes. So something happened when I hit adolescence, when hormones kicked in, I started dressing in outrageous ways. Um, I wasn't having sex. I wasn't taking drugs, but I looked like the biggest whore or sex addict on the block. <laughs> but I was so puritanical. I was terrified of sex. And I was also terrified of drug, drugs. I never even had alcohol. I mean, the first time I had a drink was when I was um, 19. And I was also, the first time I had sex, I was 19. So, but this need for expression came out through my appearance. And we're talking early 80s. So that was a pretty wild time with expression. My family didn't know what was going on. They didn't know how to deal with this. Mm. And... Um, so much so that it, at one point, my father actually threw me out of home. He literally picked me up by my hair and threw me out of the house. And that was because somebody had asked him, they'd seen me in the street and somebody had asked him if I was gay. And he didn't like say, are you gay? He was like, this was the most abhorrent thing that could happen. So he just, you out. Um, and then I went to stay with my grand and then I ended up getting a, um, a, room somewhere to stay um so yeah so like who am i was coming out the need to express um i had to express it in some way and there was a, and it was in a rebellious way but it was also for me creative i was really challenging all conventions i was it was early 80s so there was like a, a challenge of gender um yeah, and that was also interesting. I mean, you know, we got all these new terms with, with gender politics and all that, but I guess in some way I could say I had gender um, dysphoria. I don't know what, something like that, but also not. For me, it was a case of I was quite comfortable being in a male body, but I was very challenging of the conventions about being a man. And mm. I did not in any way relate to the traditional conventional ways of being a man. It just was like, well, I don't respond. I didn't want to be butch. I don't want to be, um, 
hard. And, um, I was far more leaning into a feminine expression. I, I preferred mm. something soft. I preferred something flowing. Um, I prefer, I want something colorful. And again, just understand the context in South Africa was very conservative, extremely conservative. So I really did stick out mm. and was, and then as a result was bashed up a few times, you know, that people would stop and then just hit me because I was, my appearance was provocative. And, um, yeah. Well, does so that, that kind of does that answer that a bit? Yeah, and it sounds like a lot of um, a lot of pressure in a certain way. You know, initially that pressure of just you know, like you said, like the frog in the water. It's not even apparent that the pressure is there, but then mm. kind of growing up and noticing, wow, now I'm wanting to express myself, and suddenly there's a backlash. This pressure from the outside to make me small again or push me back into my old kind of ways or the ways that are there currently in society. Mm. Mm. Tell me about how, how did you then progress from that? Because I know you continued making art and continued kind of exploring yourself and exploring your sexuality, exploring how to express yourself. What happened then? Yeah, I, I need to also add something else that um, <clears throat> so also because South Africa was cut off, we were cut off culturally. We weren't, we weren't, I wasn't seeing art that was being, that was happening in the 80s and the rest of the world. And so the art that I was making at university was also very unconventional. I did a lot of knitting and it was also very much tied to my appearance. So clothes, I used to make my own clothes and it was, you know, post-punk, neuromantic. Um, I mean, what did help me, my touchstone was music. Listen to a lot of um, European post-punk, neuromantic music, like the underground alternative 80s stuff, late 70s, early 80s. Um, UK and um, European, a lot of German music, and had some friends that I did, had a similar um, taste, as it were. Um, but I was, again, I wasn't getting mirrored by my lecturers. They were a bit like, they didn't quite know what to do with me because I was doing things with so much force, like there was so much, I was so immersed in it and so involved. I was really deeply convincing about what I was doing but it was very new for them. They didn't know how, what to really make of it. Um, so for the most part, they left me alone and just like, okay, we'll do whatever you want to do, you know? Um, uh, sorry, Max, what did you say? I've, I've got a little bit lost then. Um, where were we going to this? Yeah, I was curious about, you know, that transition of finding yourself in university, studying art, you know, starting yeah. to express yourself, um, and not just internally, but externally, really bringing that into form. And how yeah. did that then continue? Okay, so, yeah, so there was a strong need to express something that was 
I would say largely a rebellion. Um, I looked like a rebellion. And then I still had this other conflict with my sexuality because I was in a quite a committed and long-term relationship with a woman. And what was confusing for me was that sexually it was beautiful. It was, it, I, loved, we, I loved having sex with her, but I was also aware that I was attracted to men and that was confusing because I thought, well, if I am gay, then I shouldn't be attracted to women. Um, mm. Another context, another thing to add to this is that HIV had just arrived. So sex mm. at that time was death. Sex and sex meant death. You know, it's a totally different um, time now. But so you were not the, the the context didn't encourage sexual or um, exploration. Um, we were too scared to explore. Um, all right. So w- what I left my hometown, I was born in Peter Maritzburg and then I, I moved to Johannesburg and that was just so liberating. Um, I ended up working at a record shop um, and it was, I was working with material that I just loved. I managed to get out of the army. I've gone to, um, and that was quite unheard of. I, I went to an army psychologist and I said, if I go to the army, I'm going to kill myself. And they did a whole like psychological profile on me. And um, I then had to go in front of the board and I made an outfit dressed to kill. And I arrived there and they were like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? <laughs> kind of imagine a, a mixture between Lee Bowery and Boy George arriving in the army. And um and they were like, there were three guys. The one guy was like, no, no, you need to come to the army so we can sort you out. There was another guy that was mm-hmm. like, I'm not quite sure what's the of this. And there was another guy that said, no, 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 you mustn't come to the army. <laughs> and I managed, I got a, a, the psychological evaluation that just said, no, 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 I'm medically unfit for the army. So that was, mm-hmm. it was a weird sense of achievement because it was something really to be proud of, you know, I managed to get out of the army, but then it was also like, like, no, I failed. I'm a coward. I'm not standing up for my country. Even though I didn't subscribe to Mm. any of those things, it was kind of that whisper. And there was something about being a coward. It was fraught with so many things. And again, that's all the unpacking of being a man, you know, like, you're supposed to be brave, and yet I was brave. I stood up against something that was fucking terrifying, an army mm. industrial complex, you know, this whole thing. And I stood up to that in a very effete way, not in a – so I don't know if you can get that kind of flavor of – I was fighting with with fabric and lace and safety pins, mm. you know. It was, it was a weird war I was waging. Um, so yeah, going to Joburg was liberating because there I was my home on, um, there were clubs to go to, there was music to listen to, there was partying. I started drinking, I started taking drugs, you know, inhibition started, um, getting lowered. So I was able to allow things to come out of myself, my sexuality, um, meeting some pretty wild people, um, People that were quite scary because they they had pushed 
convention. They were like not in any way conventional. They were like, I would call them punks, you know, like living, not in any way subscribing to the status quo. And that was quite exciting. I certainly looked as though I belonged with those group of people. But something that troubled me was their morality. I found them to be, um, I don't want to say immoral, but I would say amoral. And that disturbed me. I think I always had a sense of um, ethics, like a strong sense of what's right and wrong. Or, mm. And I'm not, I'm not saying that in a judgmental way, but just in a, in a you don't treat, in a respectful way, a respectful life, a respectful others. And I found, especially with drug using and abuse of the body, that really would, um, I would find that, so it would, I would feel violated for them. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, mm, yeah. There's something about the body that's very sacred for me. And um, violating that, I find, which I've done. I mean, I, I, I then, you know, did go down drug addict lane. Um but it's it's such a betrayal. Our bodies, I mean, I, I think our bodies are the most remarkable things. And for us to for me to treat it in a bad way is is, is I want to just say bad. But anyway, so um, so how did that solve? So yeah, it's so complicated, Max. I mean, there's so many things going on. But anyway, so I started exploring my sexuality. I um, I then met somebody who was very powerful, who I ended up getting married to. And this was a strange, it was a strange detour in my life, but a necessary one. She was incredibly powerful, still is. And she was from that set of people that were just way unconventional and weren't scared. They weren't as scared as I was. They were pretty feisty, quite aggressive. She was pretty aggressive. And she was actually too powerful for me to stand down and we got married. And in a way she pulled me out of that kind of, um, I was too scared to rock the boat thing. And she pushed me. And because of that, um, I was able to leave, leave um, working for other people. I started my own business. We started a, a hand painted t-shirt and fabric business and we moved to Durban. And that's when the whole spiritual thing opened up. And my connection mm. with her was even though it was there was a whole lot of denial going on around my sexuality, her energy is so catalytic and so volcanic that it catalyzed a whole lot of things which woke me up to my spirituality and woke me up to a whole lot of other ways of being, heterodox ways of being. Like hmm. the, sta the status quo is only one band of being. There's so many other ways of being. And that was incredibly liberating. Um, it then was a whole other thing that I had to undo as well, because nestled in that was a whole lot of psychological things that I'd learned from a child, like codependency, believing that love is possession, all that stuff. So that then took me through into my 30s, which I had to do a lot of psychological undoing. Um, I think in my the, the, there was a lot of traumatizing I was, there was a lot of trauma in my childhood and in my 20s, and then I had to undo all of that in my 30s. Um, 
And so that was the paths, the, 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 you know, the path of becoming self, most of it or early parts of it was unbecoming, had to undo, had to undo a whole lot of stuff. And the, the stuff that I was undoing, I felt like it was shells, like these, you know, like those beetles that um, I think they cracked their shell open in order to become another beetle. Um, I suppose mm -hmm. it's a bit like a crab. I think crabs break their shells and then they're very soft and then they form another shell. That's how they grow. Um, and those shells felt like they were things, well, they certainly things that I had used to protect myself, but it was also armor that, yeah, it's weird. I, I kind of got it from the outside, but it was also protecting myself from, from the outside. Mm. Um, one of the major things that helped me in my 30s was doing men's work and becoming going to a men's group. And it was on that first retreat that I feel I fully incarnated into my body. We did a process where um, it was like a rebirthing process. <clears throat> and I felt that my consciousness fully entered into my body then. Um, so I felt like I was, I was then... Um, altogether, I suppose, which enabled me to do more processing. And then that took me into my 40s where I started doing um, deeper work with meditation. I did an ayahuasca. I did a Vipassana. And those, those two events turned out to be very pivotal, life-changing events. Um, I think I've kind of gone over a whole lot of things very fast, but I'm trying to, yeah, how did I express myself in this, this thing of expressing the self? Hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's really beautiful what you're speaking to because it, you know, this journey of like becoming, as you talked about, was really one of unbecoming initially or hmm. in the middle maybe. And it kind of sounds like we're now in the territory of, know kind of again becoming yourself like when you spoke about the men's group kind of like filling into your body and arriving in yourself and yeah. i'd be really interested to hear more like you kind of finding yourself in yourself how did then that shift your life and what happened afterwards See, the way, the, what makes sense to me in the models that I work with is, and, and this also refers back to astrology. Astrology, you know, it, it gives us a chart and that chart describes our personalities. And I think it's really important for us to understand our personalities. Um, and the personality really is uh, the capacities that come with in this life um, and then my environments can dampen some of those capacities or it can enhance them in other words it can encourage the developments something or can suppress them um, my my personality or my birth chart can also show my talents and they can also show my disabilities so I get to know what I'm working with um, 
I also don't see that personality or what I've come to see. I don't, I don't see that necessarily as myself either. It's just the vehicle that I inhabit here. So what is be, what is the inhabiting? Who or what is doing the inhabiting? Um, that's a big question. And um, so in a sense, the personality would be the kind of um, small self. I think what's, and then there's something else, that, another model that I like to work with, and that is character. And character is something that I really develop and I need to work on. And that's plugging me into an ethical um, framework. Um, hmm. I don't think we're necessarily born with character. I think it's something that we have to develop. Mm -hmm. And that we also have to do with others. So it, it's the thing that you would develop with your sangha, with your fellowships. Um, otherwise, I would just be a little selfish blip, you know, it's, it's all about me. It's all being self-centered. Um, but, but that character building is very important. And it, that's almost like a, an old-fashioned word. I don't hear about character anymore. And I don't hear about personality. I hear a lot about identity. And I've got quite a lot to say about identity, and I'm going to move on to that because I see identity as being very problematic, and I don't think it has anything to do with itself. So um, when in my 40th year, I was doing a course called Psychophonetics, and it's a healing modality um, based on Rudolf Steiner's work, um, which is it's. It's a, it's a remarkable modality of healing, um, which really includes and accepts so many different things of the various self or selves. Um, it, it, it encourages play. It, it encourages a playful, almost crazy way to go into yourself. So it's opening oneself up to magical thinking, mythical thinking, pre-rational, but I'd also say because it's context, it's going into a post-rational space. Um, and it's very healing and very powerful. So that was the context for that, that whole year. So I was pretty, I was processing a lot of stuff. And it was that year that I did um, ayahuasca. And, um, my, and I've only ever done ayahuasca once. I've done a lot of other psychedelics, San Pedro, mushrooms, um, acid and the ayahuasca is one of the most powerful experiences of my life and it took me quite a few years to be even to be able to even talk about it but it's become one of my iconic um experiences and in that experience it was i i went through hell and then i arrived at a place which um, which is totally nonverbal, so it's difficult to put it into words, but this is how I speak about it. It's, I arrived at a place which is called home.
um, profoundly um, peaceful, profoundly serene, um, profoundly andromatic. And I got a, a very clear message that I'm always home. However, whatever I identify with prevents me from being home. Hmm. And that was okay. And then a few months later, I think it was three months later, I did the Vipassana. So I did a 10-day silent retreat. And on about day three, I had the same experience. It was like burning in hell, burning in fire, and I collapsed into home again. And I had the same same experience of being home. I'm always home, but whatever I identify with prevents me from being home. So from those, and this was what, 17 years ago, and identity politics hadn't really come onto my radar yet. It was only a few years later. So I started seeing like identity as being problematic, you know, it's um it it leads lead me. Uh, sorry, to backtrack, that thing of being home, I understood as being the real self. And it's difficult to describe because it's it's no thing. It's not, um, I, I suppose it's more a state of being. Um, I understand it from uh, integral theory, Ken Wilbur's, it's the causal state. It's the, the formless form. <clears throat> mm. Um which we are able to access in dream, which we are able to access in our waking, and when we wake up in our wake, when we are awake. Um, but I didn't have all those words and I didn't have the theory then. Um, so then, so, so that was my first taste of self with a capital S. And I think that's the model that I'm really working with now. That's, that self with a capital S, um, is also what's permeating all being. Um, and it's, um, so I will have these moments, I'll have these experiences of looking at the mountain and I become the mountain because we are the mountain, I am the mountain, you know, the mountain is me, there's no separation. Or I'll have a conversation with you and there's like this moment where we completely melt into each other and you are me, I am you. And there's no separation. Um, and I understand that to be the, the real self. Um, however, you know, I, I move out of that and it's like, oh, I'm now in a separate, I'm playing this thing of being in a separate body in, in this um, space where things are all separated out and um, the things that I can bump into or things that could fall onto me and there's other separate beings. And um, it's all, on a good day, terribly interesting. <laughs> on a bad day, it can be very frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> or very painful, you know, there's something very painful about being separate. You know, when I have that moment with you and that we won, it's just, I'm home. I'm so home. And when I'm home with the mountain and we won, and then we come away from that and then there's, 
separate, separate again. And there's something very painful about being separate. Um, uh, um, so I'm not quite sure <laughs> where I'm at in the story now or making sense of anything, but um, I have this sense of the physicalness of it all, of being, of being in a body isn't the real self. It's, but it is also the self. It's not that there's a place that I must go to and then I'm going to be real. No, this is all very real right here, right now. Mm-hmm. And it's also the, 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 the self with the big S, you know, I mean, the words just don't, can't, can't describe this. Um, I've also, you know, so my next major phase was um, I I got quite deeply into drug addiction and and process addiction. So, you know, addiction can take many forms. And there were substances, but there was also um, um, behaviors. So sex addiction and romance addiction. And that got me to very dark places and was I was really just on a complete downward um, suicide spiral. And I think what had happened was that I'd woken up to a whole lot of spiritual things that were, my understanding of them were like largely transcendental. Like it was, I was trying to get out of being, I was trying to get out of being in a body. I was trying to get off earth hmm. um, because earth just felt very painful, like, there's a lot of suffering around me. There's so much un- injustice. There's so much inequality. And I experience it as being painful. Um, and I think was, most of, sorry. Yeah. And so this was all happening at the same time, this like recognition of the self being everywhere and dropping into this feeling of home but then noticing the separation and finding yourself in addictions and just kind of wanting to get away from here at the same time. Yes. Yes. Cause it's so overwhelming. It's just so much to take on. And, you know, so my, my, I guess my, my way of dealing with it was just to, to go and isolate and, and, and hide and get into things that would take me away from, from being in the world. Hmm. And then that's, you know, that got me to collapse at mid forties. So, and that's when I then went and started a 12 step program, which was incredibly liberating. It was, it was such a turnaround in my life um, because it, it made me get honest. I had to start being really truthful and honest and stop this, you know, not, well, I don't know if I've stopped it, but certainly become truthful about how I self-deceive and try and deceive others, try and get other people to buy into my, my self-deception. And I mean, that's the first thing to just stop lying, you know, start telling the truth. And um, to also, to open my mind to look at things in different ways and to be willing to try on things that I might not want to do, largely don't want to do. <laughs> um, and then start putting very basic things in place, like basic um, hygiene, like good hygiene things in place, like sleeping properly, like eating properly, um, having good conversations, having 
people in my life that I can really rely on and they can rely on me um, to stop doing things that I'm ashamed of, to stop feeling guilty about things or to stop or to do the things that I know I should do and don't do. I think that's how we de develop guilt. Um, and to meditate and to pray and to um, be of service, to give back. Um, to also be plugged into my community, to be plugged into society, not to shrink to the side and think I'm special and different and um, engage fully in life and being. Um, and that's been the biggest turnaround for me. So that's, that's been going on for 12 years. And mm. I'd say one of the biggest components has been meditation and um I started with Shambhala and then I went into Zen. And what I love about Zen is it's, it's so much about biting into life. It's so much about holding that, that duality of transcendence and immersion. And then whatever else arises, something else arises out of that. We were talking earlier. So the one is um, being and doing and then the becoming, because um, there's something new that emerges from that. There is something growing. Um, Wilbur also talks about it like accepting the stage that I'm at, which is like horizontal. So accepting I'm here at this stage and that's enough right now. And I've got to do my best right here, right now where I'm at. And then there's also a vertical stage where I'm growing and I'm going to do better. And that's got some kind of time component to it. Um, and I need to hold both of those simultaneously, um, which is quite a, it's quite a balance, you know? Um, and again, so who am I? Where is the self? And that question just becomes more and more difficult to answer because it's all, I'm all of it. I'm, I'm the doing, I'm the being, I'm the becoming, I'm you, I'm me, I'm my cats, I'm all of it. And I'm also none of it. Um, so then what am I? And hmm. that, that question continues and continues. And then we say, what is this? What is this? And to get really curious about what is this <laughs> mm. and, and have the courage to put down what I think it is and to actually have the courage to go to a place of no thinking mind or before thinking mind and see it in a way that I've never seen it before. Um, and I've got to say art as a practice does that for me because I'll make something and then I've got to kind of trick myself to look at it in a different way. It's a continual practice of trying to see it as though, see it how somebody else would see this. How would, you know, how, could I look at it from this point of view? Could I look at it from that point of view? And then also how the art reflects something with it from within me that I cannot see. I, it's like I need this scrying tool. I need this like, um, crystal balls to reflect something back to me, but I have to clear a whole of clutter away in order to, to see it more clearly. And then it'll also change. It looks like this one day and then the next day I look at it, it's like, Oh my God, now this is looking at me. 
Um, I don't know how that popped in there, but um, I'm trying to tie in the art making because that has also been very much part of my my process and very much part of my story. How art, and I, and I think it's like something very primitive. It's something very childish. It's like um, like that magical stage of development, which is what like about pre-four-year-old, where um, I'm acting out. I'm acting out from my inside and I act out and I make things and I assemble stuff and I put things together and I put all this material together and I'm not bogged down. I, I'd say I'm very post-conventional with, with my art making because anything is art material. It doesn't have to be, you know, the conventional bronzes or painting or whatever. I use anything and everything. Um, and I assemble it and there's something very compelling about those actions. I'm compelled and I can do it for hours. Like I, I, I'm dying to go to the toilet, but I'll just carry on making and making something very obsessive about it. And I then put it out there into the world. And then it's like something separate from me and I can go and hide it or I can put it away or I can go and do, go and, have a meal or something and I look at it and then it starts speaking to me. It's like starts taking on a life of its own. And it's very interesting. And it's like something inside of me now has gone onto the outside so I can see it. And it's fascinating. And then it's very fascinating when other people start seeing it. And they're like, Oh, what is that? Mm. That's very interesting. That's very curious. <laughs> and it starts speaking to them. <laughs> it's mm. like, what are we getting up to here? You know? Um, and I, I mean art making is crazy it is so crazy it's and yet I am so grateful I'm so happy that we've got this this kind of activity that we accept like we universally accept okay you're allowed to do this you're allowed to do this crazy activity it's all right we're not going to lock you up you know we're not going to force you to take medication um and I think it keeps us sane quite frankly. I think it is the medication. Mm. Wow. What a beautiful and interesting journey. Um, and I really love how you opened this topic of becoming self through yeah, your own questions of where we are and the philosophy and um, you know, just sharing with us how you understand the self and how that's shifted and how it's shifting and how mm. your relationship to yourself is, you know, it's not just now in yourself, but it's something that is coming through you, through your art. Mm. Mm. That is then something in front of you and suddenly you can have another texture of relationship to yourself through mm. the art you've brought into the world. Mm. Yes, and also how that can then trigger conversations with other people because the others can relate to that as well. Mm. Um, yes, but uh, yeah, just the way you described all of that, I, I really get a sense of how things are shifting and moving all the time. There's no fixed thing. There's nothing fixed. Um, and that's why I really stumble and really hit my head against um, identity politics because there seems to be this fixing of stuff and I just think it's it's like why you know fixing is like 
it, it's kind of like a colonialist project. You know, when you put the, the needle through the moth, you fixed it, but you've killed it. It's dead. And this thing of fixing, oh, I'm this. Well, I've just killed myself. Um, well, I've killed the spirit that's moving through me or the energy that's moving. I said, in this moment, this is what's going on. It, it, I think it's more accurate to speak in verbs. I'm experiencing doing this now, but it's going to change in the next moment. But to actually start anchoring things in nouns is very, is so limiting and almost cruel. And I think it kills. I think it's, it stops whatever's alive from living, you know, mm. it's like, this is it. Well, then I've just put it in a box and basically starving it of oxygen. Um, yeah. Uh, what and then comes you, to mind. Uh -huh. No, no, carry on. Yeah. What comes to mind is, you know, you first found yourself in an environment where you had to be what was externally defined. You were given nouns, you were given identity and finding yourself in art university, you suddenly had kind of the opposite of that. I mean, again, I have to be something, but now I'm going to be me. I'm going to express who I am and to kind of put that into like concrete form. And then your journey of kind of realizing, hey, this is, you know, even maybe specifically going to kill myself if I keep chasing this defined I that I think I need to become and then experiencing, ah, it's a, it's a continual recreation process and it's a doing and a verbing of myself. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I like that verbing. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's like when, when I'm on psychedelics and I haven't done them for a number of years now, but it's words... It's like, it's difficult to say I, it's more, <laughs> I just remember trying to speak on acid. It was so, mm. it's more kind of verbing. We do a verbing when, we, when we're tripping. And there's something more accurate about that way of speaking. Um, I'm not trying to diss, you know, logos or, or logic, because I think that's very necessary and important um, and very useful. Um, but to start, you know, having investigations with the self, it's, it's language is really problematic. Um, mm -hmm. You know, poetry starts becoming more accurate or more appropriate. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, and again, to go back to Zen, Zen does that so beautifully with the cones um, because it really does pick up the thing of language. Because I, I work with my teacher and we do the cones and it's, the practice is trying to get that into the verbal space. Um, and it's very interesting. It's very paradoxical. I asked Mark after this conversation if he could send me the koan that he is working with, with his teacher at the moment. And he so graciously sent it. So I want to read it. Somebody comes into the Zen center with a lighted cigarette, walks up to the Buddha statue, blows smoke in its face, 
and drops ashes on its lap. You are standing there. What can you do? Um, but it, it's coming from a place which isn't thinking or rational. It's post-rational. It's not logical either. It seems to come more from the gut than anything else. Mm. Wow. So where do you find yourself today? What are you doing? How are you expressing? And what are you bringing into the world? All right, so when we met, we met last year in July, and I had had um, a very important exhibition at the beginning of that year, which for me was like a mini retrospective. And um, it was a body of work which contains some pieces which I had been working on, say, for 14, 15 years, 17 years. And um, it's, a, it's the one that you, you saw the video of. Um, I did that walk about. And <clears throat> it was like a real achievement for me, that, that show. And since then, I feel I've, it's almost as though that's, that closed a door on an earlier way of being, and now I've opened a door into another way of being, or I've gone up a level, or I've turned a corner. I just feel like I'm in a different terrain. And the terrain is that I'm working more head-on in the art industrial complex, like with established galleries, um, major collectors, and I'm still finding my way through this um, because art making starts taking on um, in many ways it's less personal and, and it could also just be for money or just be commercial and I, I find that quite a difficult thing to work with um, and so I've just had a I've just I've had a few months where I've really pushed that. Like, how far can I go with just making art for, I know this is going to sell, I know this is going to sell. It's beautiful. It's still meeting very important aesthetic criteria, but it is primarily decorative. And then I had a few, a few things where it just didn't turn out right. It's like, okay, this is as far as you can go with this. And then things are going to start falling apart. And that's been quite humbling. I was brought to my knees <clears throat> and it's made me revisit why I make art. And I go back to, I make art because it reflects something that I can't put into words or whatever, something that's going on inside of me that I need to become aware of. And hopefully it then can do the same for others. Um, but it's, so I've reinvestigated, I've revisited that literally in the last two, three weeks. 
And it's quite mm. amazing to see what's coming out. It's very exciting because it's of a different stature. It's like I needed to go that commercial route to almost flex some muscle, to pick up some or develop some kind of muscle in order to come back to the other work. And I'm very, mm. very excited to see what's happening. It's I'm feeling more um, committed to that path. There's also something going on for me. Um, you know, I've just revisited all the integral theory work and it's, the last time I, I was with it was about 12 years ago. And um, it's almost as though a whole lot of theory has come my way, which is making sense of what I'm experiencing. So I'm not one for theory. I, I don't like reading about stuff. I want to experience stuff. Experience is king as far as I'm concerned. Um, and so like even with Zen, Zen for me is you go and sit, you go and do your Zazen, sit on the mat, that's it, you know, practice, 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 practice. I've never read a single word on Zen, any book, nothing. I do have my teacher, but when we go, when I go to see my teacher, we just do um, Cohen practice. Um, so it's interesting visiting um, Ken Wilbur again, because he's giving me a whole lot of words, which is making sense of my experience. And what it is, it's that, you know, the thing that I spoke of, like being at home, which I, I would, what I'm understanding is what Wilbur's talking about, the formless form, the causal self, the causal um, state of being, which permeates all, permeates everything. It's the formless form. It's when form is nothing and nothing is form. I'm starting to become more aware of that in my waking world i have moments when i can step into that and the sense of separation it's not that it goes away it's just i'm aware of the connectedness of all and i'm also realizing how that almost becomes uh, a skill plugging into that sense of connectedness because it starts becoming i have a sense of um, things aren't so personal anymore and I'm going into a more universal space, a new a universal experience of being. And that helps me deal with the pain of being because I've got to say, I'm feeling an acceleration of the pain of being in the last year during COVID and stuff. Um, my situation where I am in Cape Town there, there are so many more people living on the streets. And I mean, my immediate neighbors, like I step outside of my road and there are people living in the field right in front of me. Um, and a whole, you know, a whole lot of social issues that go around it, cable theft, electricity going down, water meters getting stolen, all of this stuff. It's very in my face and I feel it. I feel it viscerally. I feel it in myself. And if I experience that in a very personal way, it takes me down and I start going suicidal or I start going genocidal. And when I go into these spaces of that home space, it kind of, I can deal with things then. So what's coming for me is that spiritual skills start becoming survival tools. Um, mm. 
and they're very pragmatic. It's not like, oh, I'm now going to drift off and go into la la la. It's I'm still very much feeling pain. I'm feeling with everything, but I'm I'm a bigger. I'm in my bigger self. Mm. Um, and that bigger self can hold that. My small self cannot hold that. It's it, it cannot. It's not equipped. It can't shoulder it. Mm. The bigger self can. And Max, that for me is like, wow, that is okay. You know, some of this work is now paying off because I heard that years ago. I heard it about thirty years ago. The need for spiritual skills as survival tools, and it was like, what is that? You know. But I'm having a real, I'm having real experience of that now, and that's that feels good. Feels very good. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your experience mm. of growing up in South Africa. The experiences you made of becoming a man becoming an artist, becoming self-expressed. And, you know, I, I find it really beautiful that you are not in a, let's say, illusion of I have now arrived. You know, I've gone through mm. all of it and now I've arrived as an artist. This is what I'm doing. But rather you're really embodying um, the becoming, you know, the nature of becoming, this continual, I'm still growing into myself and, you know, I'm learning along the way. I'm experiencing new along the way. And, you know, let's see where it goes. That it becomes mm. a question rather than an mm. answer. Mm. 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 Nicely put. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for this conversation. It's been really fun to listen to you. Um, is there anything you would like to share with the listeners or with me before we kind of close the space? Yeah, just deep gratitude for you. And um, you, and and what you're doing here, this is beautiful that you, you're picking this up. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful that I had this conversation that I was able to express this and explore with you but also what you're doing and what you're putting out in the world is beautiful. Um, and just the way you've ended that, yes, that's, you know, life is just this continual becoming and adventure. It's an adventure. And don't, don't fix it too tightly. You know, if I'm going to give any advice, just loosen up. <laughs> We've got to <laughs> have a bit of looseness. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, who, it is. It's just an adventure. It's just an adventure. Yeah. Thank you, Max. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. This was uh, really nice. Wow. What a conversation. And what a beautiful start to this podcast. It's uh, really striking for me to see this language that I'm in a way coming up with, how easily it is able to be used to communicate this experience of life. 
and how much I'm looking forward to the conversations coming up. It's really a joy to be with you in this exploration and to share with you these insights and openings that are being created in these conversations. I'm your host, Maximilian, and this has been Becoming Self. The next episode is going to be with Jacob Kashir, who is a philosopher and practitioner of transformative dialogue. If you'd like to stay in touch with me, you can contact me through my website, which will be in the show description. And I would also like to announce that I hold a weekly meditation group called A Space to Be. It's a 45-minute guided meditation. It's for free and you're very welcome to join. Thank you for listening and see you the next time.